I do believe in the rest of the Bible as well, but uh, for these Sundays, the concentration is Ruth, and it's chapter 3 of Ruth, and in the, the Church Bibles, it's page 269. This is the full story of uh, what we shared a little bit in summary earlier. <clears throat> One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Amen. May God bless His Word to us. I think in the, the last survey of these things, that hymn was decreed to be the nation's favorite hymn. Uh, it's a great hymn and a great God that it describes. Let's pray 
as we come to explore Ruth chapter 3. So in your greatness, Lord, you have given your word to us. As we read the written word, may we encounter the living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the Holy Spirit, who caused these words to be written and recorded and kept for us, bring them into our hearts and lives and make them part of us. For Jesus' sake, amen. I mentioned earlier that uh, we had our latest grandson born on Friday, uh, little Theo. Um, we have had two daughters uh, after we got married, Ruth, one of our daughters, and you can guess where she got her name from, and Heather, who had baby Theo last Friday. Uh, Ruth has four boys, Ruth and Ian have four boys, and now Heather and Scott have three boys. So having had two daughters, we now have seven grandsons, um, no granddaughters, all grandsons. So we hope eventually when some of them get married, God willing, that uh, we might be blessed with uh, great-granddaughters, if God spares us, to, to live that long. We live in Pitlochry, although I was born in Easter House, not very far from here, and Rosemary also comes from the Glasgow area. But when um, we were able to, to get a house of our own and not be in a tight house, uh, we bought a, a house in Pitlochry, which we've since extended a bit. And when I was working in my last stint in ministry uh, with the Baptist Union, we were able to live there and I could work from there. So when I retired just under two years ago, we decided to keep on the house in Pitlochry, and that's where we live now. It's a beautiful part of Scotland, and it's not too far away, but an hour and a half from Airdrie. And a morning like this, it's a wonderful day to come and see the, the scenery uh, and rejoice in the beauty uh, of this country. So you'll meet Rosemary next week, hopefully, if you haven't met her already. Into Ruth chapter 3, Pathways of Grace is the main title, the main theme for this series of sermons. And today I want to think about working it out with God. You see, the grace of God comes to our lives and impacts us in different ways as we thought about last Sunday. But the grace of God has got to be worked out, and that always means with our active cooperation. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said this in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, "'Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Work out your own salvation, for it's God who's working in you. These two things always go together. Uh, if you imagine yourself standing on a railway line, without a train coming, obviously, but you know, a level crossing, you're standing, and you look at the rails, they disappear into the distance. And if you try and find the point where they meet, you never actually get there. Your eyes will tell you these rail tracks meet in the distance, but try and find that point. It's always elusive. 
And in some ways, it's like that with God's grace in our lives. He works His grace in us, but then we've got to work it out. We are jointly responsible with Him. And it's like these twin tracks. We never quite find the point where both come together, but they do. They do. God works in and we work out. And that's the process of His grace in our lives. And in the story of Ruth, and in particular uh, with regard to Naomi's part in the story in chapter 3, we see some key words coming in the story. And I want to suggest these words permeate that story. They actually interweave with one another. And it's all part of this process of Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation, for God is working in you. And the first word is planning. We see Naomi planning for Ruth. She wants to see her daughter-in-law securely settled and married, and she wants to know that that is in place because she loves Ruth. She appreciates her. And so, Naomi comes up with this scheme. Uh, she's showing concern for Ruth. She gives her instructions, and Ruth, almost to the letter, follows out Naomi's plan. Not quite, as we'll see in a moment or two. But let me pick out a couple of things that come in this passage that are quite interesting and quite unusual. First of all, when Naomi speaks to Ruth in verse 1, she says, My daughter, I must find a home for you. I must see you settled in life. Literally, the word says, I need to try and find rest for you. That's an interesting word that's used. Most of our translations use other words, find a home, or find security for you, or provide what I can to make sure that happens. But Naomi actually talks about Ruth finding rest. And in the Bible, if you know, there are a number of passages that talk about rest, and that word rest can have a number of meanings, but it encompasses all this sense of God's blessing and God's goodness, and God's provision. That's what Naomi is looking for, for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, living in a society where that was so vital for her future. And so, she gives Ruth some instructions. She talks about Boaz. Uh, she says, you've been working in his fields. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Verse 3, wash and perfume yourself, and put on your best clothes. Now, why would you say that? Um, there's no clear answer about why she tells Ruth to put on her best clothes. Did she want Ruth to look her best for Boaz? Possibly. Although, if it's going to be dark when Boaz discovers Ruth, then he's not really going to have much appreciation of the clothes that she's wearing. And one person suggested, one writer I was reading about this suggested, that perhaps Ruth had been wearing her mourning clothes still, still in mourning for her late husband. And perhaps Naomi was saying to Ruth, it's time now for you to look elsewhere. You have 
been mourning, but now it's time for a new phase in your life. Now, we don't know for certain if that was the case, but it could well be that Naomi, in whatever she's saying, is encouraging Ruth to think now about her future and not about her past. And there are times for all of us when we need to say, the future now is what matters. Thank God for the past, but we can't live in that past. It's time to move on with God and what He has planned for our future. And what we see in Naomi is this work of, of working out what God has worked in, faith and action going together. There are times when we need to know when it's right to act, to move, and times when we need to step back and say, no, we're going to be patient, as we'll see in just a moment. And Naomi's plan seems quite strange to us. First of all, um, it's important to note that there's nothing suggestive or underhand about this. Living in such a highly sexualized society as we do, you read this story and think this is risky stuff. Naomi saying to Ruth, go and lie down at the feet of a man in the threshing floor after a night when they've been celebrating the harvest, eating and drinking, they're merry, they're happy. But Naomi trusts both Ruth and Boaz. And what she's suggesting is not something that will lead potentially to a sexual encounter, but something that was known in that society, in that culture. And so her plan is not something that uh, she thinks will put Ruth at risk of being exploited sexually or in any other way when she's down in the domain of the threshing floor, which is where the men would work and some of them would sleep. Naomi trusts Ruth and Boaz. And she, she knows that if Ruth carries out her instructions, then something might transpire. And so Ruth goes, and she lies down at the feet of Boaz, as Naomi has instructed. She uncovers his feet, taking the cover off, and she waits there. And then some hours later, it seems, in the middle of the night, Boaz wakens up, and Ruth is there. And when Boaz wakens up, he asks, Who, who's there? Someone's lying at my feet. Who is it? And Ruth says in verse 9, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since I am your kinsman, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Now, that's where Ruth goes beyond what Naomi has said to her. Naomi has simply given her instructions about what to do. Ruth's words go another step beyond that. And she makes Boaz aware, if he isn't already aware, that as part of this wider family circle, he is one of the kinsmen redeemers. There were possibly two, three of these in most families. And Ruth says to Boaz, since you are a kinsman redeemer, Will you spread the corner of your garment over me? Will you cover me? Will you accept responsibility for me? And will you take me as your wife? Leap year 
in Israel, for Ruth at least. That's the plan that Naomi had hatched, and Ruth carries it out almost to the letter, although she goes just a bit beyond this. Now, bear in mind that this happened at a time in Israel, the time of the judges, which was not an easy time to live morally. There were all kinds of complex relationships. There were standards that were slipping. It was not a society where it was easy for people to live upright, moral lives. Does that sound like our society today? A society where sexuality is being so twisted and perverted and deprived of its context of love and marriage. Uh, and that's the kind of world that we're living in. Ruth tells us it's possible. It's possible to live a life of holiness, a life of fullness, a life that's right in God's eyes, even in the midst of a society like this today. So, Naomi makes her plans, and Ruth's words go beyond the plans. And Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, maybe comes to some of your minds. Many are the plans in a man or woman's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. We make our plans sometimes. We activate the plans. We put them in motion. But deep down we're saying, Lord, we want your purpose to prevail, for the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. And you know, I've made plans sometimes, and I'm sure you've made plans. Sometimes my plans have succeeded. Sometimes they've nosedived like an airplane crashing into the ground. But deep down, when you give your life unreservedly to the Lord, you can trust Him to fulfill his purpose for you. So, our plans are made. Some of them come to fruition like this one did, but beneath it all is the purpose of the Lord coming to pass. Here's the second word that I find in this story is a key word, waiting, waiting. And Naomi says to Ruth in verse 18, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens? For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So, Naomi and Ruth have to wait to find out what's going to happen. Boaz doesn't know what's going to happen either, because there's another kinsman redeemer who's closer in relationship to Naomi and Ruth than he is. What will this closer kinsman redeemer do? Will he decide, I'm going to marry Ruth and then Boaz has simply got to accept that and go look elsewhere. So, Naomi's plan and Ruth's hopes hang by this thread, this slender thread. Um, pardon me for going back to Theo's birth again, but it's all very fresh in, in our minds. Um, Heather knew that she was going for a, a C-section delivery on uh, Friday, so she texted Rosemary, her, her mum, about half past eight in the morning saying, I'm already waiting to go to theatre. And then we didn't hear anything for five hours 
after that. And we thought, something's gone wrong. We kept wondering, is the phone going to ring? The phone rang a few times. It wasn't them. It was someone else. So, you know, when you're waiting for something, five hours can seem a long time. We waited and waited. We tried to occupy ourselves. I read over my sermon again for today, and uh, we did some other things. We waited and waited. Still no word, still no word. And eventually, at half past one, Ruth herself phoned to say, oh, we've had another baby, and, and she kept her mum and tender hooks. Well, what is it, and uh, how heavy was it, and so on. But that five hours of waiting seemed like much, much more longer when you're waiting for something. You know the old phrase, the, is that the watch kettle never boils. <laughs> you sit and you're waiting in that cup of tea, and it never happens. Sometimes there's a process of waiting. The Bible actually talks about waiting on the Lord. And sometimes waiting on the Lord means waiting. You just have to wait. God is never in a hurry. He's never rushed. In fulfilling His purpose, He's quite deliberate in everything He does. You know, as a, a minister, um, although retired minister now, one of the, the questions, I used to wonder if it was a loaded question that people asked you when they met you was, are you really busy just now? Now, as a minister, you, you almost felt under pressure to say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm really busy, because that seemed to equate in your mind with fruitful activity in God's name. Jesus was never busy. He always did what He knew the Father was doing. There was a deliberate rhythm in the life of Jesus because He'd clocked into the purposes of God. He was attuned to what God was doing, and so His whole life was in harmony with the rhythms of grace, with the work of God that had to be worked out. And in our lifestyle, we tend to pursue things now. We want things now. So, social media, internet stuff, thank God for all these developments. But it kind of increases the pressure on us that everything's got to happen now. Sometimes God says, just wait, wait. And that waiting period can be one of the most productive periods if we use it well, and if we wait on the Lord, remembering that His purpose will be fulfilled. Ruth's great-grandson David again, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, and He heard my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. We sometimes wait, but we tend not to wait patiently. We forget that part of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Sometimes in the patience and the waiting, that's when God is doing something deepest in our lives, in our hearts. So, Ruth and Naomi and Boaz are all waiting. And of course, you can read ahead and read the last part of the story. You don't need to wait until next Sunday for that. 
but we're going to leave them waiting there because there's another word that's an important word that comes through, and that's the word trusting. In verse 16, Naomi uses another different phrase, and again, our Bible translations tend not to translate it uh, verbatim. What Naomi says in verse 16 to Ruth is, who are you, my daughter? And that sounds quite odd, because by this time they've got to know each other really well, and there's a bond between them, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. And Ruth comes back from the nighttime meeting with Boaz, and Naomi says to her, who are you, my daughter? Now, most Bible translations use something like, how did it go, my daughter? Tell me what happened. But that's not what Naomi says. She asks, who are you? It's as if she's saying to Ruth, has your identity changed now? Are you now committed to Boaz and he committed to you? Is there a bond between you that will result in your marriage and God's blessing on your life? Has your destiny been decided tonight, your earthly destiny, as far as we can predict that and see that? Has the Redeemer agreed to act as He said He would? What Naomi is is getting at is this sense that she and Ruth share a common bond, not simply through being related together, but a common bond of faith in the living God, the God who can be trusted at all times. And Naomi, I think, confidently believes within herself that God is fulfilling His purpose for Ruth, and it's in the fulfillment of that purpose that Ruth's identity and destiny can be found. So, who is she? She's Ruth, a servant, a Moabite, a foreigner living in a different country. Who is she? She's a child of God. She belongs to Him, and in that relationship, she can find her true identity, her true sense of belonging and security through relationship with Boaz. And what's going to happen there? We can trust God with that. And we trust God to fulfill those uh, hopes and dreams that we have. And so, in verse 18, Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Back in chapter 1, Ruth said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. In chapter 2, Boaz says, "Um, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to find refuge. Trusting, trusting this God, trusting all the time. It's woven through this story. When you give your life to Him, you can trust Him with the outcome. I spent two years at the Bible Training Institute, as it was called then, before it became different names and then sadly went out of 
of existence a few years ago in its main form. In the Bible Training Institute, we sat at long desks. The desks were about the length of these middle pews here. And they'd been the same desks for decades. And there were lots of carvings on the desks. We used to call it kind of sanctified graffiti. <laughs> Elsewhere, you might have been arrested, but as it was a Bible college and you were Bible college students, there were some verses carved into the wood. And there was one little carving in the wood, four words and two dates. I can't remember the exact dates, but let, let's say one was 1966. Can God? Two-year standard course in BTI at that time. 1968, under the words, can God, God can. Two years apart. Two years telling a story of someone who'd given up much to go and be at that Bible college, who wondered where would the support come from that would let me go through this and then go on to whatever God had in store for me. Can God? God can. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. And it's when you do that and you're trusting God that you can be confident, absolutely confident, however it's going to happen, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. So, God works it in. His grace works into our lives. And then as we work it out, we do so planning, waiting, and through it all, trusting. Let's pray together. We thank You, Father, for the example of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, two women, one man, who did just what we've been talking about, who committed themselves to You, who made their plans, and who waited, and who trusted You with the outcome of it all. We can trust You with our lives. May we do so. May we hold nothing back from You, just as Your Son, Jesus, held nothing back, but gave Himself fully and freely to the Father's will. So, as You work Your grace into our lives, help us to work it out with You, with Your help, and in our lives, each one of us here today, and in those who are on our hearts and close to us, Please, Lord, we ask, will You fulfill Your purpose for us and for them? And to You we give the praise and glory through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.